excuse me. So this evening, uh, talking about the the perseverance uh, of the saints, it's um, it's an important topic, so important that um, you know Reformed churches uh, aren't the only churches that would hold to that that one point. That one point. Um, you'll hear sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the the preservation of the saints uh, and it's the same it's the same doctrine uh, one is just emphasizing that god preserves the saints uh, or if you call it the perseverance of the saints it's that by the power of the holy spirit true believers will persevere uh to the end um but you know it, it really we're talking about you know salvation can a person lose their salvation and um if so why so and if not why not because there's you know you've got like two extremes when you talk about this topic on on the one end on the one side there are those who uh, think you can lose your salvation and then you can regain it and you can lose it and you can regain it and uh i've met christians like that they were a part of churches that believe that and it is really a sad kind of way to live the christian life you know that that uh, you you fall into sin or you commit a sin and you think oh i've lost my salvation again now i gotta get saved again uh and i i, I once worked with a woman who had been baptized like five times um and there's just no security in that um and it leads to the question what what did christ accomplish then exactly then you've got the other extreme that believe so firmly in the perseverance of the saints, in the once saved, always saved, that I said the prayer, I'm good, I live any way I want, right? I, I can't lose my salvation. Um, I don't believe I can lose my salvation. And I've met Christians who believe, or professing Christians, let me let me be more accurate, I've met professing Christians that, that um, you know, just never went to church, never read the Bible, cursed like sailors i mean you lived like the world and then when i tried to share the gospel with them oh i'm already a christian really you know well yeah i mean i i said the prayer i've been baptized and i don't believe i can lose my salvation you know I, i'm i am i'm in you know regardless of what i do um that is really a deceptive way to live and there's, there's scriptures that, that talk about that and, and we'll talk about more about that tonight um, so what is what is the biblical uh, perspective you know um well the, i think the bible is clear that yes once saved always saved but that also doesn't mean that we can live just any way we want and there's many scriptures that, that talk about that um but let's let's look at a few verses i think um that uh, well, first we'll go to john chapter 6 and this is a passage that we've looked at already a few times with regards to uh, some of the other doctrines. Uh, John chapter 6. And uh, verse 37. Now here Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out so first of all right there with that last phrase i will never cast out god is never going to 
uh, stop extending saving grace to believers. He's never going to turn his back on true believers. He's never going to get to a point where he says, you know what? I'm done forgiving you of the same sin that you ask every day for forgiveness for over and over and over again. Right. Thankfully, um, God is faithful to his promises. Um, that is a very comforting thought. Um, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So right there, Jesus says, it is, it is my father's will that I not lose one of all that he has given me. And so those who think you can lose your salvation, uh, the implication of that theology would be that, that Jesus is a failure, right? Jesus has failed at the mission that the Father gave him, right? The mission, the assignment that was given to him by the Father is that you not lose one. But if people can lose their salvation, then Jesus has failed. He says it again, verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise him up on the last day. Um, so right there, Jesus is making, you know, very clear that those whom the Father has given to him, he will not lose one. Another place in John is John chapter 10. And this is a really important text because, you know, people will interpret this. I've heard this interpreted in some crazy ways. Verse 27 Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. They will never perish, i.e., they will not lose their salvation, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Then he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand father's hand so what's interesting is jesus is given the idea that we are in jesus's hands and then jesus's hands are in the father's hands like the father's hands are wrapped around the son's hands we are doubly protected from losing our salvation and i once had a conversation with a believer who thought you can lose your salvation and i i took her to this passage and she said yes but it doesn't say that we're not able to remove ourselves from the Father's hand. It doesn't say that we can't leap out of the Father's hand. But I had a reminder that he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one includes you, right? You cannot take yourself out of the Son's hand or out of the Father's hand either, right? That no one, not one person can do that. Neither can you do it to yourself. Because when we think about <coughs> salvation, when we think in terms of regeneration, right? What does it mean to be regenerated? But it means to be what? What's, what's kind of the, the common phrase that is used to talk about regeneration? Born again, born again right? To be born again. And, um, you know, when Jesus talked about being born again, 
I mean, he compared it to an actual birth. When you look at John uh, chapter 3. Verse 3, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is of the flesh, right? Humans give birth to humans, and that which is born of the spirit is of the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then we've also looked at this other passage uh, before as well, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of human decision, nor the will of man, but born of God, right? So being born again is a spiritual birth. And just like with your physical birth, you can't undo that, can you? I mean, we can kill ourselves, we can commit suicide, but we cannot undo our physical birth. So also we cannot undo our spiritual birth and we cannot spiritually kill ourselves because Jesus has already said, as the passage we've looked at, those that the Father have uh, given to me will be saved. I will not lose one. So the Bible is clear in so many places. And this is really a comforting text because it causes us to realize that our salvation ultimately is not based on what we do. And keeping our salvation is not based on what we don't do, right? Um, First Corinthians, another wonderful passage. I mean, this, this doctrine is, is all over Scripture. First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, talking about Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who will sustain you, who will sustain you. God is faithful by whom you were called. I mean, this is such a comforting passage because what all of these passages communicate to us is that you know, no matter the ups and downs of life, no matter what we struggle with in life, no matter how bad we blow it, so long as we have faith in Christ, that's where salvation comes from, right? Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's it. And the moment we start to think that we may have lost our salvation, or those people who do think that you can lose your salvation, what they're really saying is that salvation is by faith plus works. They don't realize that, right? But if you have to live a certain way to keep your salvation, then you're actually saying salvation is a matter of works. It's a matter of what you do. But if it's a matter of what we do, well, then that contradicts Scripture. First of all, right, Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9, 
for you have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so if salvation is a matter of works to any degree, well, then that just contradicts Scripture, right? We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So for those people that think they can lose their salvation, ultimately in their mind, when they get into heaven, they're going to be able to pat themselves on the back and say, thank goodness I was living right when I died, right? So that I'm here because of how I lived. But the great comfort and understanding, and, and this is what the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is supposed to do. It's supposed to promote um, the worship of God. It should promote the glory of God. It should promote uh, comfort and assurance of our salvation. It should not promote licentiousness. Um, because where the great comfort comes in is, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've counseled um, with people who have struggled with their salvation. Um, there was a time I was counseling with, with a man who was, was struggling. He was struggling with internet pornography. And, you know, he would come to me just broken, tear streaming, and he would, he would wonder about his salvation. And my question always to him was, well, what are you trusting in? Do you believe Christ died on the cross for your sins? Do you truly believe that? And he would say, I do. I believe that, right? Um, and this was not a person that was just living the sinful life. I mean, he was reading his Bible. He was praying. He was going to church grieved over his sin, I mean, grieved over it, um, hated it, right? That is not the image of someone who's not saved because unbelievers, they don't care what the Bible says. They're not grieved over sin. They live any way they want, right? But sometimes, you know, the devil can use our sin to start to push us toward legalism. You know, how can you call yourself a Christian? There's sin in your life that... You just can't, you just keep committing the same sin over and over and over again. Whether it be that, whether it be gossip, whether it be slander, whether it be covetedness, whatever it is, you know, the devil can probe. And like, how can you call yourself a Christian? Because Christianity isn't about works. Salvation is not about works. It's not about how closely we live the Christian life. It is about faith alone in Christ alone. And to God be the glory alone. And there is so much comfort in that. And this is where, you know, um, Jerry Bridges, you know, wonderful book. Um, um, the Gospel for Real Life. You know, he talks about in that book that as Christians, you know, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You know, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a paragraph in there I remember. He says, you know, the world tells you, get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, you're a great person. Right? Everybody likes you. You're smart. Right? Boost your own self-esteem. He says, we ought to get up in the morning, look in the mirror and give ourselves the gospel, right? You're a sinner. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Christ died on the cross for your sins and you are saved only by the work of Christ in your life. And that truth to just compel us to want to live for the glory of God. And that's, that's real comfort, right? Um, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, I love this language, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion, right? Because at the end of the day, um, we read the words of Christ in John chapter 6, John chapter 10. Christ is not a failure, right? Christ will not fail in his mission. And even though sanctification is a cooperation between uh, the Holy Spirit and the believer, right? It is our sanctification. We, sh we cannot confuse that with the idea that salvation is a cooperation between the Holy Spirit and the believer. It is not, right? And this is where oftentimes Christians make the mistake of blurring the line between justification and sanctification. These are two different things, right? Justification, which goes hand in hand with regeneration. Justification is, it's, it's, it's a one-time uh, event in history. Um, it, is, it is a one-time event. It is definitive. You are justified. You have been justified. At the moment you put faith in Christ, you are declared righteous, not guilty before the great judgment seat of God. Right? Sanctification is ongoing. It's a process, right? As, as we mortify our sin. But thankfully, our salvation ultimately is not dependent on how far we get in our sanctification. Because if it was, a lot of us would be in trouble, right? Um, I mean, because in the end, that's, that's Roman Catholic theology. Um, that's the whole point of, you know, indulgences and, and earning uh, righteousness from the treasury of merit is that you do all of this stuff in the hopes that you've earned enough righteousness that when you will die, you'll enter into heaven. And of course, if you haven't, which probably no one has, well, then you go into purgatory where you gotta you gotta be purged of whatever other wickedness uh, is still in you it, there is this this idea of earning your way into heaven and so they do blur the line um, between justification and sanctification and the reformers were the ones that understood rightly that the gospel is we are justified by faith alone and it is definitive once for all and uh, sanctification is 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 a process is a process um so when we talk about this i know um you know this can oftentimes lead to uh that idea that um so what do you you know what do you do with uh the people that appear to be saved you know they make a profession of faith i mean they, they go to church they live in the christian life I mean, they give every evidence it would seem of salvation, and yet they fall away. I mean, have they lost their salvation? Uh, you know, it, how how does a person do that? And what if they they never return? Um, well, the Bible is clear. I think in various passages that that we can look at that you know it is possible. Uh, well, first of all, James talks about the fact that it is possible to deceive ourselves into believing that we are saved. Um, and we see that uh, coming from the words of Christ. Matthew, uh, right? You go to Matthew chapter, um, well, Matthew chapter 7, for one. Matthew chapter 7. Um, 
Well, first of all, verse 15. And it's interesting that, you know, you look at verse 15 and the subtitle is uh, a tree and its fruit. You're probably familiar with that. But notice how he puts these two back to back. The very next one is, I never knew you. And Christ obviously did this on purpose, but he's, he's trying to show, uh, you know, two sides, basically, uh, of, this, of this argument, if you will. In verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit, by their fruit. Right? Not, not, not by the way that they behave necessarily. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bear, uh, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Well, what does he mean by fruit exactly? Well, of course, we know from the epistle uh, to the Galatians um, that Paul there defines the fruit as the transformation of character, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Because then Jesus goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think here's what's important to understand when you look at that passage is it notice that everything that they, they list is all external works. It's all external works. Look at the things that we did. Look at the external things that we did. Look at the the, uh, the ministerial activities that we were involved in, those things are not the evidence of salvation, right? The fruit, I think, that Jesus is talking about is, first and foremost, as he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, right, you'll keep my commandments. Or, uh, more specifically, Matthew chapter 22, verse uh, you know, 37 and following, um, he's talking about what are the two great commandments? Love. Right? The two great commandments are based on love. Love for God, love for your neighbor. That's the first fruit that Paul mentions. The fruit of the Spirit is love. John, in the, in, in the epistle of 1 John, right? Uh, it, you know, anyone who does not uh, love does not know God. Right? These people are citing works. Um, and what's interesting, and it's a very, very timely illustration that I can use, um, talking to a to to philip pastor philip way um over over lunch and he is talking about the the individual uh that i was sharing with you who's a gifted evangelist who's going to be doing the street evangelism he's done it for years um grew up on the mission field in guatemala his his parents were missionaries uh he grew up you know as a child i mean street witnessing handing out tracts sharing the gospel with people by his own testimony, by his own testimony, he did not get saved until he was 40 years old. 40 years old. All that time, he's been doing street witnessing and evangelism and handing out tracts. But his own testimony is that I truly did not get saved until he was 40 years old. And 
his testimony is that it's when he was introduced to reform theology, to the sovereignty of God. Now, I know that a lot of reformed people, such as myself, I've said this, that when I came to reform theology, it was almost like a second born again experience. But that's not what he's talking about. According to uh, the, the pastor that I was talking to over lunch, his testimony is that when I was introduced to Reformed theology, it was then that I finally truly understood the gospel for the first time. That it wasn't about works. It wasn't about what I do. And, he's, and he said, all those years from the time that I was a young child, I just was going through the motions. I was doing these things that Christians, right? If you're a Christian, this is what you do. These are the things you do. This is how you talk to people. This is what you say to people, never realizing that he thought he was earning salvation, that salvation somehow was involved in all of the things that he does. It's almost a frightening thought. But this is why it is so important. That's why this doctrine is important. Because if we understand this doctrine, the only way we can understand rightly the doctrine of the, the perseverance of the saints is to understand the gospel rightly. If we don't understand the gospel rightly, we're not going to rightly understand the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We're going to mess it up, and we're going to think that we persevere by means of faith plus works. But we persevere because it is he who began a good work in you will complete it, right? Salvation ultimately from beginning to end is the work of God. That's what, that's what Paul means, um, I believe, in Romans chapter 1. Paul says this, verse 16, I believe it is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. Now, the ESV says from faith for faith. I think a better translation is from faith to faith. They might have that as a footnote. I see a footnote beginning and ending in faith from faith to faith as is written the righteous shall live by faith from beginning to end from faith to faith salvation is all the work of god and sanctification does not contribute to our ultimate salvation or glorification so what do we do then about those individuals that appear to be saved i mean how do we explain that I think the best way to explain it is Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus gives us the parable of the sower. Most of you are probably familiar with that. It's a great parable because we don't really have to try to interpret it because Jesus gives us the explanation, right? Um, and so the beginning of the chapter, I'll just read the parable just to remind us of the, 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 the points, the details. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, He sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the soil and produced 
grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, then you get to verse 18, and the, the disciples um, ask him about the parable, or he explains it to them. And it says in verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and he does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown on the path, right? So the seed that falls on the path is like the hard heart. You know, it's like throwing seeds against a brick wall just bounces off. I mean, lands on the ground, and the devil just snatches it away. It has no effect. And for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is the person who... Here's the gospel. I believe it. I want to be a Christian. They start going to church. They're on fire. And then next, you know, they start being persecuted at work. And, oh, you're a Christian. We don't want to eat with you. We're not going to invite you. You're not our friend or whatever. And then well, maybe I don't want to do this Christian thing because it's not working for me. Right. The boss doesn't like me now and he's denying my leave request. And uh, maybe I won't be a Christian. Or from their own you know, their, 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 their live-in significant other, you know, right? I want to do the right thing. I think we should go to church. I think we should get, well, I don't want any of that, right? I'm leaving you. Well, okay, maybe I won't take this Christianity stuff so seriously. Um, then verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Right. That's the person who professes to be a believer, but ultimately they're just sucked into the temptations of the world. They can't resist that thing and they gradually slip back in. Did these people lose their salvation? Verse 23 is the key. As for what was sown in the good soil, this is the one, number one, who hears the word and number two, understands it. And number three. He indeed bears fruit. There's the key. And yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. And so the difference between the true believer and those who give the appearance of belief is that the others gave the appearance of growth, but they never actually bore fruit. They never bore fruit. Specifically, the fruit of, right? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? Yeah, starts with love. Jesus says the two great commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. They did not bear that first fruit, which is to love God with all their heart, mind, and soul. Because if they did, they wouldn't have withered under persecution. They wouldn't have given into the cares of the world because they love God with all their heart, mind, and soul. And so the difference then is the one who hears it. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Romans uh, 10, 13, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The one who hears it and understands it. Again, that, uh, that person as an example, you know, in his own profession of faith, his own testimony, I did not really understand the gospel until I was 40 years old. And then I realized 
this is God who does this. So then it, what is fundamentally wrong with the church that they're not educating people in the correct interpretation of the gospel? Well, because when you look at what that parable that we read in Matthew chapter 7, the frightening thing, and, and this gentleman as an example, and even historically, you look at John Wesley, who graduated from seminary, was ordained as a minister, pastored a church for several years in uh, colonial uh, Georgia, um, and yet, by his own testimony, did not get saved until he returned back to England, right? The frightening thing is, is that there are people who can deceive themselves into thinking that they are believers, and they can go through the motions, but they're not really saved. But your question has to do with what's wrong in the churches, because there's a lot of these people, I think, in churches. I think, I think a lot, a lot of uh, Sunday school teachers and Bible study teachers and deacons and elders and guys standing behind the pulpit are not saved, even though they think they are, because the, the Bible is not being fully and rightly preached. Um, too many pastors and too many Bible teachers uh, are more concerned with growing the church numerically, I think, this is my opinion, rather than being concerned with growing true Christians spiritually. They don't want to preach sin. They don't want to preach the hard things of Scripture because only true believers are going to enjoy hearing the hard things of Scripture. Um, because true believers want to know what does God want from me, right? How can I please God? How can I glorify him? Even if it rubs me the wrong way, ouch, okay, but I see it. I'll pray about it and I'll deal with it. Right. Because that's the true Christian who isn't going to wither through persecution or get sucked into the world. And they're not going to run away from the hard teachings of Scripture. Right. But unbelievers will. Those who think they're saved. Um, and so we preach too. Oftentimes we preach um, uh, we preach a, 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 a soft gospel, if you will. We preach. Uh, easy believism, I've heard that phrase before as well, easy believism. We preach what, what tickles the ears and what's, you know, we, we want people, you know, too oftentimes the church is viewed as really just a, it's a therapy session, right? People come here because they want to leave happy. They, they want to be encouraged. They want to be uplifted. They want to hear positive and encouraging messages and, and go home, you know, feeling good about themselves. And they don't want to hear what the Bible... Now, that's not to say that every message should be fire and brimstone, right? I mean, you know, we preach the Bible as it's written. And when we get to those passages where it talks about the love of God, you know, the love of Christ, the grace of God, um, you know, then, then, then we preach that. But when we get to those passages that talk about, you know, the expectations that God has on us, then those need to be preached. And the reality is... The Bible everywhere is always telling us what to do, right? The Bible is always telling us in every chapter, in almost every paragraph, the Bible is telling us, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't covet, love your neighbor, be patient, be gracious, be honest, be kind, right? Pray more, evangelize more, right? I mean, live more for the glory of God, die to yourself more. I mean, the Bible is always telling us to do something. And so oftentimes, 
That's what a lot of professing Christians just don't want to hear. But that's what weeds out the wheat from the tares. That's what weeds out the wheat from the tares. Um, is preaching the whole counsel, preaching the whole counsel of God, um, which doesn't always land on us in the right way. But that's what we need if we're going to grow, um, because we all struggle with with sin, and the Word of God. The closer we look into it, is like a mirror. You know, from a distance, we can look at a mirror and think, oh, "I look pretty good." But then, as you get closer to it, you start to realize, "Yeah, I don't look so good." <laughs> you know, I'm starting to see more lines on my face or blemishes or whatever, right? And the gospel is like a mirror. The word of God is like a mirror. And that the closer we look into it, the more it reveals to us our sinful self. Well, that's kind of just um, personally, that to me, that's kind of disturbing because I mean, God did the, you know, very strict warnings about do not take away, do not add to my word. So when a pastor stands up there before, you know, a congregation and they kind of just cheery pick around or they find you know, these verses, it says, oh, come as you are, you know, come one, come all, Christ loves you all, he, you know, that's, that's, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this, that it's almost like it's sad for the person that doesn't get it because they're being deceived yeah. and they think they've gotten it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to uh, a pastor up at the, the fire conference that I was just at, and he was just sharing how before he be, he came to Reformed Theology, uh, he remembered sitting in a church where his pastor was preaching through the book of Romans. And when he got to Romans 9, he literally skipped Romans 9. And he, and he told the congregation, I'm, I'm, we're just going to skip Romans 9. Nobody really understands what Paul is saying there anyways, and we're just going to move on. Right? I mean, because if you preach Romans 9, you can upset some people. right? Um, not even just preaching it, but... Um, there was another pastor who was telling us that they he was at a church where they were um, I forget the situation, but they were at a Bible study and uh, they had asked him to just read Romans nine, like they were taking turns. They were getting together, taking turns reading through it. I can't remember, um, but he wasn't going to teach it, and no one else was going to teach it as well. They just they said you're just going to read it. Um, and so, and, and I think maybe it was a prayer meeting, and they would like read a section, they were reading a section of scripture, and then they were going to pray. And so they asked him to read, and he was, a, he was a Calvinist, and it just so happened it was Romans 9. He said, so I got up there, and he said, all I did was read Romans 9, is I just read it, and then closed the Bible, and then we had our prayer meeting. And he said, afterwards, several people came to me, and they were mad at me for what I said. And he said, I reminded them, I didn't say anything. I just read the Bible, right? Um, because if you pay attention to it, what? wait a minute, what is Paul saying? Um, and so, again, uh, you know, we need the Word of God. The Word of God is what weeds out uh, the wheat from the tares. The word of God does divide in that sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is possible for some people to think they are believers when they are really deceiving themselves. They're doing the work of the devil. Um, and, and Jesus gives us, you know, examples. And the comfort, the comfort, uh, you know, let me try to wrap this up and just make this very applicable to everyday life. Like, go to Romans. 
Nine. Romans 8. <laughs> not 9. <laughs> you're, you're, safe, you're safe here. Romans 8. Are you avoiding it? Are you avoiding it? No. <laughs> One person we get it. <laughs> Romans, Romans 8. So here again, Paul touching on the perseverance of the saints. We've looked at this before, but we looked at the same passage with regards to other doctrines. But Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, right? We've talked about that. Those whom God foreloved. From eternity past, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, right? The ordo salutis. That, that it all, it all, it's a chain, right? That those whom God foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called. He justifies those whom he justified will be glorified, right? And so this is, again, this is this is a verse where you can teach the perseverance of the saints. Those whom God foreknew will ultimately be glorified in heaven with God. It's a done deal, right? But now look at, and I, what I want to do is I want to I help you see the connection between that segment and the following segment that is often read in other situations. What then shall we say to these things that Paul just mentioned? That those whom he foreknew are predestined, predestined, called, called, justified, justified, glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There again, does Christ fail? Is Christ going to fail in those that he intercedes on behalf of? No, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. All right, verse 37. Keep in mind this whole section comes off the heels, comes on the heels of what he said back in verses 28 to 30. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor ruler, things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And the best phrase, I think, in that whole section is in the middle of verse 20, 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, meaning nothing you do, nothing you do can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Christ, and you are trusting in Christ alone, and you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and you are clinging to that truth with all of your heart, then you know what? You cannot sin beyond the grace of God. It doesn't matter how bad of a week you've had. It doesn't matter how bad you blow it. It doesn't matter how 
serious the sin is that you have just struggled with. You're all these years, this thorn in the flesh. God, why can't I overcome this sin in my life? Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is so comforting. That is, that is, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I just want to reread this passage over and over and over again. Nothing can separate you from, because salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, and he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of his return. Right? What a great passage. And, you know, and again, all of that, all of that should lead to a life for the glory of God. You know, the reformers um, uh, have said that, 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 that justification is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone, right? If we are truly saved, as Jesus said, we will bear fruit, right? We hear, we understand, we bear fruit. Namely, that fruit is that we love God. And yes, we don't always love God perfectly, right? But David didn't love God perfectly, right? Peter didn't love Christ perfectly, denied him to his face, denied him. But in the end of the day, Jesus was able to look at Peter and say, do you love me? And he knew what Peter was going to say. He knew what Peter was going to say. Yes, Lord, I do love you. You know, Jesus had to be thinking in his mind, I know you do, Peter. I just want you to know that. Right? I want you to hear it for yourself, right? to restore him to the place where he was. Um, that's, a, that's a comforting doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. So that's it for tonight. We're done. I think we should read Romans 1. That was a bit encouraging and uplifting. It was encouraging and uplifting? Yes. It was, oh, well, you know. <laughs> Some of these doctrines are very encouraging and uplifting, and the perseverance of the saints is. Thank the Lord it does not depend on us, right? Thank the Lord it doesn't depend on us. Um, right, right, more than he can handle, right, right. right. Sure, what's that? You want to pray for your bridge? We'll pray for that. We'll pray for that. Before we pray, does anyone have any questions or comments at all? No? All right. Well, why don't we why don't we pray and we'll pray for uh we'll pray for Lincoln. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we uh we thank you. Uh, so much, um, Lord, for your uh, amazing, amazing grace, Lord. Um, we are thankful that you are you are faithful to complete what you began in us. We thank you that you are faithful to your word and to your promises, and that salvation ultimately is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on what we do, on what we don't do, um, but. Uh, all glory be to you, Father, and we pray that you would uh, that you would help us, that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to uh, to cling uh, to the truth of the gospel, 
and to trust in that, Lord God, not to trust in our works, uh, not to trust in, 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 in how we live our lives, but to trust in, in Christ's work and to trust in Christ's work uh, for us. And uh, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. amen.